Well, Brent is gay, and Clark is gay, and Caleb's gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. You almost got the order right. It was, almost it was wrong from the jump. Yeah, it was wrong. <laughs> you almost got it. Well, if you couldn't tell, that was Adam Kasari doing our theme song uh, because we're missing our good friend and terrible friend, Brent Wingate. But it is episode 156. I'm Kalen. I'm Ryan. I'm Adam. And All right. So on today's episode, we're going to be honoring uh, National Hispanic Heritage Month and Bisexual Awareness Week. Uh, we've got the trailer for the second season of The Mandalorian, some movie news, some streaming news, and some comic news. And of course, we wouldn't be Homer Superior if we didn't have a segment called This Might Be Stupid. Plus our reviews of the issues that came out this week, including the true prelude chapters for the upcoming Ten of Swords crossover. Speaking of, Ryan Curl is going to make a special announcement. Oh my God, thank you, Kayla. Um, so we have some very exciting news coming up. Uh, starting September 21st, which is uh, an upcoming Monday, you can listen to our very special podcast crossover, which we are calling Crossing Swords, an X-Podcast crossover event. It's, it flows through the tongue, honestly. Uh, we will be teaming up with other sister podcasts, which includes House of X, X Reads podcast, Comic Book Queers, and the Wolverine podcast that goes snick. The first issue comes out once again on September 21st, which is a Monday, and will be our alpha issue, covering our thoughts and hopes for what the upcoming crossover will hold. We'll have special guests on from each one of these podcasts, and then going forward as, as the weeks progress, uh, each week we'll have one of these guests actually on our Homo Superior podcast here. So it's very exciting. Um, I'm pumped. Me too. You guys? Yeah, we're very much looking forward to it. So uh, first up, uh, we want to celebrate National Hispanic Heritage Month and Bisexual Awareness Week. Uh, I'm going to just quickly mention some of my favorite uh, creators and characters. Um, uh, America Chavez from Marvel is one of my favorite yeah. uh, uh, Latina characters. Uh, and one of my favorite bi characters is John Constantine. I've mentioned that before. I love it when writers write him as bi as he should be. And from a creator standpoint, uh, Pepe Larraz, who is the artist on uh, House of X, who is just a stellar X-Men. He's become one of my favorite X-Men artists. Uh, and on uh, and Steve Orlando, who's a, a queer bisexual creator, who had actually had the opportunity to meet a couple of times, uh, once at Awesome Con and once at Flame Con last year, back when we could actually do conventions IRL. Uh, so do y'all have any uh, characters and creators that you all want to mention? Ryan? Um, one of my favorite creators, um, an artist that I've been uh, looking at his work for years upon years, and I'm obsessed with him, uh, is Humberto Ramos. So he did an X-Men run. He's currently on Spider-Man. He's done many, many things. I'm obsessed with his artwork because he adds all these literally little weird robot-y things in the background and like all these little things that are just like fun little Easter eggs every time he does some stuff. In terms of um, my favorite bisexual characters, it uh, comes down to two. Mystique and Destiny together yeah. are by far my favorite bisexual I characters did there. ever. Uh, <laughs> I, see what I did? Um, I, I'm obsessed with them. I, I was hoping this was the year of Destiny because I want her back so bad. Um, but I think we're going to get it at some point. X of Swords crossover, hopefully. What do you guys think, Adam? 
Um, I'm thinking actually from DC, Jamie Reyes, the Blue uh, Blue Beetle. Yeah, right. That's oh yeah. Jaime Jaime Reyes. Jaime Reyes. Sorry, thank you. He was in um in Injustice most recently too, and as a huge fan of the comic series and the video <laughs> game, uh, it's really where I got to know a lot of the character, and I, I absolutely loved it. And then on the uh, thinking about bisexual characters, uh, Valkyrie and Moondragon both really stand out to me. And I'm actually really hoping that they have, uh, they, I know that obviously Valkyrie's already in the, the MCU and, and Tessa Thompson's been very adamant about trying to figure out how to make uh, and figure out a relationship for the character and that makes sense for the character. And then I'm, I, I think that they can do a really good job with Moondragon as well as, um, I apologize because I remember the captain, like, is, was it Captain Marvel? Kyle Lavelle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. yeah, like their alternate reality selves. I'm like, what a great way to introduce uh, that that sort of relationship. And in the comics, they're they're wonderful to read so far. What we've been doing more recently. So, um, yeah, very confused with that list. Um, is this Comic Vine's list of bisexual Marvel characters? <laughs> and it was literally just kind of making people up. Like I've I've been I don't remember. Moondragon having any sort of male companionship in a million years. Oh. They mentioned Speed in there, and Speed has supposedly kissed uh, Prodigy before, but like has, it's never been mentioned for real since or before, and I'm like, I guess they're just deciding to make these characters be called gay, or bi, excuse me. Um, a lot of my characters I really like. Um, I don't really know how to describe Shatterstar. You know, he's kind of pan. I don't know if there's a week for that. But um, I mean, Mystique's obviously freaking amazing. <laughs> we're, we're seeing what's going on with Kitty. Um, she's, she suddenly showed up in this list. And you know, last week she wasn't yeah. there, basically. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's very interesting that you could literally have any X-Men character kiss anybody of the same gender and you wouldn't be too horribly shocked by it. You're like, okay, right. yeah, put them on that list. Yeah. That makes total yeah. sense. Um, in terms of like, I mean, um, Hispanic um, Heritage Month, I was thinking of the the writer, enough excuse me, writer, the um, artist uh, George Perez, I, like when he did Avengers, and the fact that he actually made um, Scarlet Witch look Romani instead of just like here's some mm -hmm. you know like rando white chick with this long flowing brown hair and actually had ringlets and actually went to the effort of actually making someone look like the ethnicity or the group that they're supposed to be was very impressive. Yeah. Um, I mentioned I was going to have to say it, but um, my, one of my favorite Disney cartoons is The Three Caballeros. So Panchito Pistoles and Jose Carioca are very big um, comic characters in their respective countries of Mexico and Brazil. So I've got to support them and, and they, as, as, as um, Latino slash, I don't know what you'd call Brazilian, because according to government, it's Hispanic, but according to lots of cultural organizations, it's not. So I don't know. Yeah. I support both of them no matter what. Um, I was going to say real quickly that to be bisexual doesn't mean you have to be and have to have had relationships with both male and female. Correct. But that is not, it's not the, I haven't seen Moondragons listed in, in any other way. Yeah, no, you're right. I think I, I had always thought just but based it's been on my very, no, I was going to say on my very limited understanding of ongoing Marvel comics, I, I do, I always thought that Marv, uh, Moondragon was presented as a bisexual character. I, I, to your point, I don't know of any relationship where it wasn't female oriented in the comics, but I, for in my head that always like pinged up as like, she's one of those, she's a character yeah. that, that, that. I just, I haven't read enough of her lately in general. Yeah. 
No, you there was some this- you know you know what there was some interesting stuff with never mind with um Iceman and Angel in um that Champions. fucked up Defenders. So it's probably right. No, the Defenders. Oh, de- Defenders. Never mind. I just have to like uh, start crawling through all the quagmire of every <laughs> single thing that's ever happened. That's why it's in the surprise that someone could be written as bi suddenly because you're like, well, no, it's been 50 years. Something's had to happen. <laughs> and, and honestly, us being like nitpicky of like, well, are they bisexual is sort of defeating the purpose yeah. sometimes yeah. too. Okay, can we just say, yeah, can we just say that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is a very bi friendly oh, yeah. team? Not only do we have Moon Dragon, <laughs> we've got Hercules, yeah. we've got Novar. You know, uh, and so it's just great. Al Ewing's yeah. done a nice job yeah. with that, with representation. Uh, I'll also add, Clark, um, George Perez is the first artist that I ever, like, his art I've ever fell in love with because it was so wonderful and detailed. And to your point, like, he painstakingly did the research to make sure that uh, ethnicities and uh, and multiculturalism was represented as well as it possibly could. So he's yeah. terrific. Uh, and I'll just um, close out by saying, uh, if you subscribe to Marvel Unlimited, there's a feature story uh, for uh, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month, which features characters and creators. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't yet. So uh, we're going to go into uh, some breaking news. First up is the second, uh, the season for the second, uh, the trailer for the second season of Mandalorian, excuse me. Uh, it's continuing the storyline of Mando trying to bring baby Yoda back to his people. And you, there's a uh, kind of a voiceover of uh, one of the uh, Mandalorians uh, who says that they, they've got to take it back to the sorcerers that the Mandalorians always sort of fought with, which are the Jedi. And if you remember at the end of the uh, first season, we saw the, uh, the, the dark saber again, which was yeah. the, uh, uh, which was the lightsaber uh, for the first Mandalorian Jedi, according to Star Wars lore. Uh, I'm super excited about this and want to hear what y'all have to think. Right? I, I actually shrieked when they actually like fully called out the Jedi in this because I, I truly thought the Mandalorian was going to maybe like a Jedi could pop in or like some like some ways of the force might actually like seep in at some point, but I didn't know they would attack it this head on, which I'm really very excited about. I mean, this is an in-between zone that we don't really know a lot about because it's obviously before like the uh, the Force Awakens and stuff like that. So we we are it's really open for a lot of stuff. There is one thing that the internet has been freaking out about a little bit, which is uh, uh, a professional wrestler named Sasha Banks makes a appearance in this trailer, uh, and she is like in this sort of a hooded type of thing so a lot of people are theorizing maybe she's a jedi maybe she's one with the force at some point which should be really exciting kaylin i honestly thought that was rosario dawson playing uh uh kana uh uh and like that that too and like i like that's what i freaked out about but uh it's interesting that it's this uh, wrestler that you mentioned yeah it looks like oh good clark i like the fact that you know, getting all this deep lore about Jedi, you know, the narrator's doing all this important stuff, and then basically Mando is like, uh, so no idea who the fuck any, these people are, never heard of them before. I like the fact that something we've been following so much that is so important to our mythos for this world doesn't mean two fucking shits to the main character of the, of the um, 
TV I show we're watching. I love that. I love him being introduced to Jedi and him being, I don't know what you're, like, you're just confused <laughs> by everything. I would love that. It's a thing that saved the world? I don't know. Universe? Uh, uh, it's funny you say that because I have a friend who's never seen any Star Wars movie, maybe saw one of the prequels way back when and started watching The Mandalorian because he's committed to watching all the Emmy-nominated shows before the <laughs> Emmys this weekend. Um, and he, like, we started watching Mandalorian, he's like, yeah, this is pretty easy to follow. I'm like, yeah, Star Wars lore is not that complicated. And it's pretty streamlined <laughs> enough. And so he's almost, he's like the main character who doesn't know what any of this shit means. He's just That's going good. through the going And through probably the doesn't care either, which I like. Um, also, yeah. Baby Yoda being like, he closes <laughs> his own shield thing is the yeah, best yeah. part ever. <laughs> Because it's always like covered up, and you're like, "How does it? Why is he always covered?" So it, it was yeah. a great little moment. I, that entire scene was the fan service I love. Like yeah. I was like, "This is so earned and fitting," and I am so excited to watch more of them play him up. Yeah, for sure. So moving on, uh, we found out that uh, Jonathan Majors, who's been on uh, Lovecraft Country recently, is going to be cast in Ant Man Three as uh, Kang which is an interesting uh, casting choice. Uh, I like the casting choice, but it's interesting. It's more interesting that it's going to be an Ant-Man 3, which makes me wonder whether Kang is going to be a major bad for the uh, Marvel phases 4, 5, and 6. What do y'all think? I mean, I, I don't see how he couldn't be incredibly important. It's, he's one of the biggest Avengers villains. I don't think they'd say like, oh, hey, and then just toss him aside. It'd be like if the X-Men had Magneto in one movie and then never used him again. Well, they did have Ultron. Yeah, that's true. But that was that was still was an Avengers movie, at least. Um, yeah. One, but one question I do have for Kang is that like, because there are multiple versions of him, right? Like, obviously, within the Young Avengers, there's Iron Lad. But like, it's possible that they end up, and that's what I'm thinking of like, what could this plot be? And I'm like, they end up, he ends up losing in this one, but maybe in the end credit scene, it turns out that there's another Kang from another time period. Like something's gotta be like that, right? Cause it, it was the storylines a lot, evolve a lot of that or what's up, Ryan? Yeah. It's, it's, you're a thousand percent, right? And it's funny that you uh, mentioned Young Avengers because obviously we know stature is probably gonna come to power in this movie. And we'll have a bunch of other young Avengers in theory, probably floating around at the same time. So I think this is in the way that civil war sort of really became its own Avengers movie. I think this will become the same thing. And it feels like definitely like we're going to get maybe a young version of Kang coming there. And then he's transported definitely some time travel stuff. I just love this actor being in this though, because he's like, the first actor that might not have to work out to be in because <laughs> he is so in shape so hot it's crazy i mean he, the character is entirely covered up so like he should get out of shape there's no oh, they, they are going to find a way to make him shirtless you better believe he he literally loses his shirt every episode of love character i'm not complaining but oh is no the ends that they find to be like, you got to take that shirt up. And like, even when he has a shirt on, his like chest is so gigantically muscular that it's like just tearing through already. I'm counting <laughs> veins. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Why are you guys complaining? It sounds wonderful, actually. <laughs> uh, I, he's going to be great. I'm excited. So more casting news. We just found out today, uh, She-Hulk, which is going to be on Disney+, Plus. they found the lead. It is uh, Tatiana Maslany, who we all 
know and love from the Black Orphan series. I'm very excited. She's such like we're all like this is consensus. Like we Absolutely rarely fantastic. all agree, and we all love this. Did we? But we none of us had her on our bingo card for who could That's, get cast, right? And what the minute yeah. we heard the news, everyone like lost their shit, which is so funny because. Yeah. She's wonderful, but it's just, it's, it's incredible to not even have thought about her. It's perfection. It is perfect. Like she is, she can so easily hold her own title, hold her own movie, hold her everything. Like, I'm so excited for this. Brie Larson yeah. is I mean, crying into six... her pillow tonight, but like, this is the right choice. I'm so excited I, for her. I'm, you know, I had mentioned that. I mentioned Brie Larson at one point, but I'm actually glad it's not her because it would be too Brie Larson-y because she is now yeah. moved beyond being an actress and just sort of being kind of her own yeah. mini icon that it'd be hard for me to separate the character from the actress. Whereas Tatiana is, we know she can play any role because she played she them all. She got the range. She got the range. She can do it. She anything. got the range for sure. So uh, comic news, uh, uh, we're seeing some, uh, uh, a little bit of turnover in the Dawn of X books. First, uh, Len Francis Yu is leaving X-Men as the artist. We'd heard that before, but it got confirmed today. And then New Mutants, Ed, Bres Ed Brisson, excuse me, is leaving the book and Vita Ayala is going to be taking over the book. Uh, we met them uh, at uh, um, FlameCon last year. Um, and uh, they were one of the writers for one of the Age of X-Men miniseries, Prisoner X, I want to say. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to see what happens there. Um, but mostly I want to know, uh, why does Rob Layfield suck? Can we start off with that conversation? Oh, Great I feel like you probably are closest to the garbage that he's been spewing. So I would love to hear. What do you mean? I no, mean, I, I, like... I, I, I actively avoid any time Rob, he's mentioned on any news site. I'm like, I'm out. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I hate him. Hey, Lynn, why don't you recap what was said online when he yeah, so when this, this was on news Twitter. came out? Uh, when on Twitter, he quote tweeted the story and he goes, sorry, folks, I'm not going to come back another time to save this book. I'm like, dude, it's not 1991 or 92 anymore. Every time you've come back, uh, it hasn't quote unquote saved the books. Uh, Sales have plummeted. No one really cares for your art anymore, except for uh, a small cadre of 40-something, 50-something fanboys who jerked off over your art back then. Uh, and I'm not one of those anymore. So I think you're a piece <laughs> of shit. Like, like, not only has your talent suffered, but you are a just a bad person. And please kill yourself. Kaylin has I a fetish for no feet. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, that's I, me. I, I'm not one to like fight with people on their like, especially on Twitter. I think it's sort of nonsense and like going back and forth. It's silly. But after he tweeted that, I really did want to be like, you literally don't have two feet to stand on right now. <laughs> like you are the fucking worst. Where were you? Where were you when I quote tweeted him to call him trash? God where were you, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I needed your, I needed that. Okay. Well, and it's super funny because we we definitely have talked about people's like artistic fall from graces on this show, but like I, there are very few people, at least that we've talked about, that have had like personal fall from graces, and I'm just like, I don't to just sort of sit and watch this person. It's just like gross and i think he like even went on a tirade even today and it's like i know i'd rather talk about vita and and the the comic that may be coming out 
But it's one of those things like, Jesus, what a way to ruin your legacy. How sad. It's, yeah. Especially if you want a career like in this industry at all, like this is not the way you go about it. Like why, yeah. why intentionally be mean or rude or like put that out into the ether, especially on the internet, like stop. So okay, to uh, turn this back to a positive note, uh, Vita uh, seems like a delightful person. Uh, they are queer. Uh, and they're Latinx. And so, you know, it's a great way to bring it back to Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, I'm excited to see um, how they write uh, these characters, whom I really love. And I've sort of grown to like the Ed Brisson issues. I love the Jonathan Hickman ones, obviously. The Ed Brisson ones kind of had a weak start, but got better. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, Vita is going to have a really good grasp on these characters. And in other Vita news, uh, we found out that uh, Children of the Atom which had been long postponed, is going to debut in January. So um, excited about that, too. Uh, I hope uh, the concept still sounds kind of wonky to me. Uh, I hope there's a good way to, to execute something that doesn't seem, seems a little off. I don't know. What do y'all think? I mean, I'm not looking forward to it. It might be good, but I don't care about getting any new team kits. I have a more important question because we've definitely talked about this series enough that we just want to read the goddamn issue instead of talking about how delayed it is. Lay it on us. Which X-Man would you sidekick for? Um, I, I, I will, oh, what would your name be, Kalen, as a sidekick to Emma Frost? Oh, God damn it. Um, Frosty. Chili. Sure, that works. <laughs> yeah. Frosty High works. Water. I would obviously be Dazzler's um, sidekick, and they call me Smart Sparkle, Sparkle Bottom, <laughs> Sparkle Pants. I don't know something. Sparkle. You wouldn't be a sidekick. You'd be a roadie because she's a <laughs> yeah. singer and she needs I, someone to lift yeah. her amp. <laughs> Happy to do it. What about you, Clark? I don't know. I feel like I want to be. I don't know. I don't really want to be a sidekick to somebody that I kind of want to be best not best friends with but like agree on everything like i think i'd have fun with nightcrawler as being like a psychic for him because it'd be fun but i could also be like a grumpy pain in the ass at the same time and just play off of his you know personality i don't know yeah Yeah, you're the exact opposite that's fine yeah yeah yeah. but i can have fun at the same time sometimes um and then go back to being a grump i would be I would obviously partner with my favorite X-Men, Storm, but I would just be called Advisory. Stormy. It's just not enough. I'm just like, <laughs> just, Advisory. I just got it. I got weak ass flooded. That's my catchphrase. Like whenever something good happens, I'll go, girl, I am flooded. <laughs> <laughs> I th- you wouldn't be the new Toad because every time lightning hit you, she'd say, you know, what happens when uh, lightning hits Toad? <laughs> Same thing happens to everything uh, else. I want, yeah, yeah I, you know, Ryan, you, you coined my, I want t-shirts. I want to show, I'm like, Storm will be like, you need to focus on the job. And I'd be like, I'm famous now. And then something would happen, something personal. And then yeah. I'd learn that she was right all along. So, yeah. you know, here Honestly, I am. Adam, more than Storm, I see you as a psychic for Iceman because you're going to write all his shitty dialogue since Cena Grace <laughs> left the book. Oh, uh, all right, moving on to more comic news. Uh, Modoc, uh, one of our favorite side characters, is getting a four-issue miniseries written by Patton Oswalt, who I'm excited about. He does, Patton has written a bunch of comics, so he's no stranger to it. 
Also has one of my favorite uh, long-form rants on Parks and Recreation about the ultimate Marvel Star Wars crossover universe. Uh, and is also going to be voicing MODOK in the upcoming animated series. So uh, a lot of synergy that, there. That's supposed to be coming out in 2020. It's still there. So I'm assuming since this comes out in December, it probably also will come out in December on Hulu. Yeah. But it could yeah. be January. But at least we know it's happening now, for sure. Yeah. Adam, I think you had a question for all of us. I sure did, because uh, I, I mean, that news is exciting, but we'll see when we get it. Uh, what would make you go on a date with MODOK? Kaylin, you, you, your hand sprung up very fast, so I hope you have a good answer. For the story, obviously. Ah. Yeah. That I was going like, to say, yeah. all he has to do is ask me. Aw, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would, so yeah, are you telling me he would not be an interesting date? I think he would be really hundred like, percent. Oh, yeah. he would be. I mean, you're probably not going to go for a second date. I probably will sleep with him, but like, it, I <laughs> I don't think it would go past that. But it, he would be great conversation. I picture it a lot as like going on a date with the uh, you know, there's like the Futurama newscaster, the green uh, the green alien one, like. You're just yeah. at dinner having a great time. And he's constantly just screaming or wanting to kill people. And you're just like, yeah. <laughs> Modoc. Yeah, yeah. Like, I clearly want more wine. And so he just makes wine come over with his mind and on the table. And I'm like, this is a great day. This is <laughs> That's wonderful. awesome. But Modoc is a good tipper. Can we, can oh, we establish that? Oh, yeah. 25% at least. Yeah. Like, he's, he's really good to wait that. He's tough to serve, but I think he does pay well. I agree. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Ryan, I think you've got some This May Be Stupid, but... Oh my gosh, guys. Okay, so this is a little section that we uh, like to call This May Be Stupid, but... And this is where I peruse the dark web to find some of the stupidest theories about casting news for upcoming movies and TV shows. So today, or this week, I'm sorry, um, two things came out. So Lady Gaga has been trending in the news for two reasons. One of them is uh, it said Lady Gaga is to become Dazzler in the MCU. And then literally a day later, I read another article that says Lady Gaga is to become Emma Frost in the MCU. I personally love Dazzler, love Lady Gaga. I do not like her for either of these roles. What are your guys' thoughts? And who do you think Lady Gaga, if she were to come to the MCU, who should she be? Modoc. Kidding. <laughs> Perfect. It's yeah, it's definitely a, a pass for me. And I think it's actually Kaylin. It, it was only because you by the way you described uh Allison Bree was exactly how I feel about Lady Gaga. It's like you she probably would actually knowing that her work from like a Star is born, like she probably could do a decent job in a MCU-esque film starring Dazzler. But the entire time I would just look at the screen and say, that's Lady Gaga. That's, and, that's you, Lady Gaga. and they would write for it exactly as you would think, poorly. And they would find any way to like make a wink at the camera that you hated and everyone despised except for like probably young fans. So it's, I just, I don't necessarily know if I want her at all unless I, no, in fact, I don't want her at all because now I also think about Rihanna and Valerian, and I'm like, that's exactly what we would get. As a, oh no, could be, could be. Uh, Kaylin, I've got a left field uh, casting 
you know, casting choice. What about Lady Gaga as Mr. Sinister? What? I like that. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. (laughs) I did want a sassy gay guy as that, um, but I think it's got potential. Um, My pick was, because we've seen her on American Horror Story for a couple different seasons, and she did pretty well. Yeah. So I picture her more in the villain type of realm. Celine? That's exactly Celine what I was going to say. I think is Celine is exactly who I think she should right be. One. Right? Yeah, Celine, and, Celine's and, good. And I think she's a harder get to get for the MCU. So I think if she just shows up in one movie as Celine as the villain, it's probably a little bit easier logistically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're all in agreement. That is the wow. right answer. Wow. We've been great yeah. at casting. I did. I did have a second villain that I was thinking of only because of look wise. Lady Mastermind could also be fun. I think you're right because yeah. I. I think definitely think that Gaga could play a more devious, manipulative kind of villain, much more interesting than a hero. Like I just don't believe her as a hero, but she could definitely sell, especially when she did that fucking weird ass witch in one of the American Horror Stories. Yeah. <laughs> She could pull off All some of crazy them, ass bullshit. Yeah. Anytime she shows up, she's a witch, basically. Um, <laughs> and for for Dazzler, I think we established we wanted Janelle Monet, didn't we? Oh, because because Kylie Kylie Minogue would have been great in like, the nineties. Oh, she's a little she's a little too old now, unfortunately. Although we still She'd love still her. Still look good. She can still do it, but yeah. But they could recap. They could re. They could reconfigure the character to be playing kind of an like a kind of an aging, you know, kind of uh, ingenue. And honestly, (laughs) but almost she would have to, because when you really think about Dazzler's origins, like being from the eighties, like I actually would be terrified that they would introduce a young Dazzler, which would be like Gem and the the Gem and the Holograms remake, where you're like, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. Like you need the roller skates. Like anyone that was on roller skates with like a disco one piece, like has to be from the seventies and eighties. Well, yes and no. I think because of the resurgence of disco and pop music. I mean, if you think of like, you know, Dua Lipa, you think of, you know, Doja, Doja Cat, they're all like referencing stuff that came in the seventies and early eighties. It sounds like Blondie. It sounds like Donna Summer. You know, um, I think there's a way to kind of do it. Like I, I would imagine like, Dazzler could be like a Dua Lipa type, you know, uh, for somebody who sort of, you know, kind of rose up uh, in, you know, in the ranks and became sort of semi-popular to like rather popular now. So, just, yeah, it's like just cast a pot smoking, beautiful actress that's about 25 years old. <laughs> there you go. Uh, with that, does anyone else have anything? Uh, Kaylin, do you want to bring us swiftly into some comics? Yeah, so um, first up, we've got Hellions number four, which was actually supposed to come out last week. Uh, but a uh, quick recap, the Hellions break out of uh, Nathaniel Essex's former school for wayward boys, and they subdue the Goblin Queen and her zombie marauders. Nanny discovers that Sinister does a shit job of flushing away the children he doesn't want, and Nanny ain't really happy about that. Havoc goes all supernova, as he does. The team has a good chuckle about how crazy they are. Ha <laughs> we're nuts. Uh, and the Quiet Council decides that they're going to resurrect the original Marauders, but Madeline Pryor is one redhead too many. Thoughts like in the comic? It. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I don't have as much, I think, historical connection to many of the storylines that were going on, but I just find it to be a very fun, interesting read. And I feel like they they covered a lot of good ground, especially at least character wise. I wouldn't say narratively, but I think sometimes that's really important, especially for X-Men comics to slow down on the exposition and to focus a little bit more on 
growing the characters and having new interactions. And I thought we got a lot of that, especially um, Crow, uh, what is I? Gray, Gray Crow. Gray Crow, yes, thank you. Cause I was like, what's the new name? And I, I just the sequence of him obviously having to take care of the zombie versions of them, I thought was like great. And again, I have very little, I like know of all of these things and I'm just like, oh, but I, I connect with this character. I connect with the, the action. So I, I just thought it was continues to be really good. When he has to kill his own ex-girlfriend zombie. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think about that around. all the time. It really resonated with me. <laughs> I was surprised with Havoc's just emotions throughout it. Like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know the like that he had so much connectivity with Madeline Pryor. Still, that was very surprising. Right. And I don't know. I just felt. I mean, I I liked it. It was interesting. It just made me kind of. I don't it, know. The other, the last 20 years didn't happen kind of thing. It just seemed very um, sudden and surprising. It, it was jarring. It did feel a little, a little out of place, but like you, you couldn't help, even though Madeline Pryor was a cliche villain to some extent, but like you did truly feel bad for her because she just wanted to be known right. as a real person. I, I actually her. got super sad at the end when they were like, yeah. we're not resurrecting that clone bitch. And like I, 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 I really felt bad for her, honestly. Kaylin, uh, to Clark's point, I honestly think Zeb Wells is just a huge fan of Inferno and kind totally. of just focused in, focused in on um, the relationship that you know uh, Alex and Madeline had for those two issues of uh, <laughs> Uncanny X Men and X Factor as the Goblin Queen and the Goblin Prince. Um, but like that was formative for me. Uh, I've definitely said before mm -hmm. the first time I saw Havoc in his like scantily clad like goblin costume, I was like, oh, this is intriguing, and I don't really know why. I was too young to put it into words, but um, you know, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I definitely loved loved my favorite part was the interaction with Scott and Alex when Scott basically says, yeah, it's not gonna happen. Alex is like doesn't this affect you at all? You were married to her. And he's like, mm. just showing as much as, as far as Scott has come as a character, he's still a piece of shit when it comes to that, that relationship. Do you guys think that the team will actually change a little bit after this? Like Grey Crow almost like feels at peace a little bit. I mean, help. I mean, empath has to definitely come back. <laughs> Cause yeah. he literally I mean, did nothing. And, Nan and Nanny, uh, or Orphan Maker, needs to literally just have her own series. She's phenomenal. No, that's yeah. Nanny. 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 Oh, Nanny, that's sorry. Nanny. Nanny's yeah. great. Um, yeah, I'm assuming it's all going to be the same cast based on even the last co the cover that was just spoiled mm. in the solicitations. But I don't know. Well, what I'm hoping yeah. will happen is that each of these kind of sequences of stories, depending whether it's one issue or multiple, will hopefully give like additional color to each of the characters. Because obviously like Orphan Maker and Nanny had like a really fun, they were fun side characters, but I'd love a little bit of a story on them. And I think that's what, there's a big opportunity for this series to kind of do that where each, like, you know, Grey Crow will still be there, but just be a little bit more of a commentator rather than a actual, like the story ties to his, his growth or on, you know, what, what's happening in his life. And uh, Psylocke and Wildchild will definitely be there because of the sort of the the alpha and the beta relationship that they've sort of uh, developed. Um, I can't believe how much I like Psylocke in this series 
compared to how much I disliked her yeah. in Fallen Angels. Um, well, so that, just a real quick question. Are they, because I, I agree with you, are they writing her as though it was like the original combined Psylocke almost? Like, or was Psylocke with Betsy a little bit less aggressive? Kaylin? I definitely think they're writing her consistent with how Quanon should be written. The problem with Fallen Angels was like she herself is not an interesting enough character. She needs, in the same way Cable needs Deadpool or like another kind of absurd character. I mean, old man Cable, not the current young one. Um, she needs like wacky characters around her. And in Fallen Angels, you had X-23 and Cable and they were sort of miswritten. They were written poorly. Uh, they, um, they uh, you know, just, it wasn't, there wasn't enough contrast between these very stoic characters. And I think that's the problem. Like uh -huh. if you have a stoic character, if you have a straight man, you need a wacky character and vice versa. Like for, you know, any, any sort of semi-comedic um, uh, book, show or movie. So let's move on. Uh, Giant Size X-Men Storm. It's the last of the Giant Size issues. In this issue, we have a band of misfits, including M, Cypher, Warlock, Phantom X, and a random agent of AIM. They head to the world to help Storm with her techno-organic virus she got from fighting the Children of the Vault way back when in uh, X-Men number five or six. And they, well, they succeed, and the random agent of AIM decides to stay behind because of evil scientist reasons. And meanwhile, the, contain, uh, the containment system in the world turns out to be sentient and cipher, and they have a little chat at the very end. What did everyone think? This reminds um, me of a lot of other one, uh, a lot of other one shots where I, I'm like I, I don't feel like one shots are or, or I don't know these standalone stories never so really seem to do very much for me. Um, this one felt like the most cohesive because obviously it was tying in plot points from some of the other ones, but it, in general and maybe it'll pay off bigger. But I also get nervous that like there's not going to be a whole lot to take away from these four giant size Ryan. It's uh, just like she got her techno uh, virus, which felt a little forced and fast. She got rid of it pretty forced yeah. and fast. It, it, the art is absolutely beautiful. Like I could basically anything that was going on, I was captivated. Even uh, that random guy in the AIM costume, I was like, he looks gorgeous. But like... <laughs> But the, the issue itself was just sort of like a one and done. The only thing I think that I'm getting out of this is that like that, that virus is sort of encapsulated into that sort of like containment unit thing. I think that's going to obviously play a part later where that might be sure. that crazy virus that we, we learn about in Hawks and Pox where it comes back to them at some point. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, uh, Clark, can we just give Cipher just like a mini series or something? He seems like everyone wants to write him, and yeah. he's kind of a main character in other people's stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people love him. Honestly, he's great. I love him. Yeah, Cipher and Warlock as like a comedy duo book yes. would be phenomenal. Um, I'll just say, um, yeah, I completely agree with everything uh, y'all said. Um, I, I definitely felt it was too quick. I thought this was going to be a longer storyline for Storm. But one positive that I saw was the elevation of M, and we've seen that in other miniseries mm -hmm. and one-shots yes. as well. 
I like that she is being seen as one of the more intelligent mutants on Krakoa. It's not just Beast and Forge and, you know, Sage. Yeah. Like, M is, like, a powerhouse in her own right, and I don't just mean her, like, power set. Like, she's driven, intelligent, uh, and a leader into her own way. Like, I definitely look, would love to see her get elevated in other books besides New Mutants. Yep, totally. All right. Moving on, uh, we've got another one shot. So Adam, this your your uh, you know it's your favorite thing ever. It's uh, Marvel snapshots X Men. It's a one shot on Cyclops. And the reason we uh, bought it and read it was it is written by Jay uh, Adidan from Jay and Miles, which is a podcast in many ways helped inspire this podcast. Uh, and we get uh, the not so secret origin of Cyclops, and turns out he's a fan of Mister Fantastic. <laughs> Who knew? Yeah. What do you I- think? I did like this one because I thought it was very, had a lot of heart and like, because it's a sort of throwback just to give you a little more insight into the character. And Kayla, like you mentioned, it's like, we're still, Cyclops is definitely, I've always enjoyed Cyclops' more like order focused world. But I think in the more recent years, he's been really exciting to see him like transform into like a more fully formed character than just like team leader. But I do like this throwback. And I just, I love that connection to Mr. Fantastic. I just thought it was really nice. It just made me like, I was like, oh, it like brought me back to my warm and fuzzies, I think, because Cyclops is such a formative character in my like childhood. Right. I think it made, I think it made sense in a lot of ways. Like we've never really heard about him being like a huge Fantastic Four fan, but like if those were the first superheroes that you actually saw and that's how it is in the canon of like the Marvel universe, it, it makes so much sense because his early interpretations of who Cyclops was, was he was trying to be the ultimate hero, mm-hmm. like a good guy. Obviously he's changed over the years, but like, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And he was a little bit kind of all, like all of us where we like fangirl out on like uh, just some superheroes. Kalen. Well, uh, this made me think of his, uh, uh, adoration of Mr. Fantastic made me think of the first issue of House of X about a year ago when, uh, you know, Sabretooth gets captured by the Fantastic Four when they're trying to uh, yeah. steal the chip about for Orcus. And um, you see Cyclops kind of like going after him. And then they have this sort of like standoff of like, who's going to keep him? And Cyclops decides, you know what? Y'all keep him for right now. We'll deal with this later. It like, it completely like sort of fit with that characterization. So I really appreciated uh the uh the sort of the backstory there i also want to like point out the art of tom riley i really loved it it was beautiful simple kind of a throwback in the best way possible uh it was clean and it was really easy to follow well all right my my favorite part was his concern over having stolen a library book (laughs) (laughs) like this is all upsetting and i blew a hole in a wall and i stole a library book I just love that fact. And it was he's, he's by the book, honestly, always. You know him. Literally by the book. Yep. Um, so moving on, uh, Thor number seven, uh, Mjolnir, which has been acting kind of wonky, shows up in Oklahoma with Tony Stark's phone number. Uh, Thor grabs a drink with Beta Ray Bill, who assures him that Thanos is dead, dead, dead. Th- uh, Beta Ray Bill, of course, has never read a comic or seen a movie in his life. Uh, <laughs> turns out Bill's going to be a regular in the series because Thor asked him to stick around to be a second in command. Very excited about that. Yeah. And then back in Oklahoma, Adam Aziz, uh, a me- the mechanic uh, who's based in Oklahoma, picks up Mjolnir and turns into old man Thor. I do love the fact that Thor's just doxing the fuck out of Iron Man right now. 
just <laughs> yeah. handing his phone number out yeah. to anybody. Guys, I called the number on there. And yeah. Oh my God, what happened? If you call, if you call, it literally goes, "Hey, um, yeah, this is Tony Stark. Yeah, I've I've been getting a lot of messages lately. Oh it's like a real thing." Um, and then he actually gives a website, like it's Tony Stark slash Ironman.com. I haven't, I haven't gone or anything like that, but it's, it's a real actual like phone number. That's great marketing. I love that. What a cool Yeah. Thing. It was so smart. Who, who, who's the voice of it? Donny Cates? It's do definitely not Robert Downey Jr. It's just like, <laughs> it's, it's almost as bad as, uh, you know, like in Marvel's Avengers game, how Iron Man just sounds off. Yeah. It sounds like that. It sounds like that. But yeah. I give them I give them props, honestly. That's great it, synergy it was, right there. It was a great issue. I, I thought it was super fun. Um I every time Beta Ray Bill and Thor interact, I'm just like, can we get this in a fucking movie? Yeah. And can we see this on screen? Because it is like yes. phenomenal. He is when without his hat on, he looks like a like a skinless dog. He looks terrifying. <laughs> And I'm obsessed with him. And Beta Road Bill is such a like straight to the point, but tries to be fun still character. He's he needs to be on screen. Well, absolutely. If, he's, if he doesn't show up in uh, Love and Thunder, and Chris Hemsworth just recently said, I want to do more Thor movies. Like it feels like Beta Ray Bill will show up. At well, and it, and it didn't occur to me because obviously at the end of uh, Thor three, I was like, whatever the Thor three's title was. Um, they did, they ended up killing off of all of his like best support friends. So it's actually a perfect open opportunity to throw that so, character. And I completely agree with you. I think it's so much more interesting to have that sort of push and pull and conversation. And I think it gives, it's giving this series, like I've enjoyed reading it so far, but it gives it a lot more weight. Cause I think the first couple of issues were good, but they were, they were just so, you know me, I like, I don't, my the scope gets too large. I stopped caring because everything is a, you know, world-ending, global-ending cataclysm, and it's it's just really nice to get back a little bit to people just talking about things. Kayla, mm -hmm. uh, going back to the movies for a second, I think a good way that they could bring in Beta Ray Bill, if you remember at the end of Endgame, uh, Steve Rogers has the hammer that he's got to go back in time to put back where it needs to be. Uh, maybe there's a way that it diverges, and then uh, Bill gets uh, gets <sighs> the hammer, and then. As he's found to be worthy and can become Beta Ray Bill that way. So there's a great in-story way to kind of like, with some timey-wimey stuff, bring in the character. Totally. Uh, I love that. So the, so the uh, last two issues the series are the prelude chapters for Ten of Swords. And I'd like to spend a little bit more time on both of these because a lot happens. They're very, very plot-heavy. So I'm going to do my best to recap them. First up, Excalibur number 12. You got Apocalypse gathering the externals only to tell them that they're now obsolete. He's got Richter killing uh, Nicodemus, Saul, Cruel, and Kandra in order to use their bones to create a permanent gateway to Otherworld, and as, and as we'll find out later, to Arako. Uh, however, the gateway can't be completed because Kandra has tucked her soul away into the heart gem on Otherworld. Gambit, being a thief, if you don't know by now, has stolen it. Meanwhile, Saturn is pulling, uh, putting Betsy, the current Captain Britain, on a performance improvement plan. Uh, Gambit chucks the Soul Stone, I mean the Heart Gem, through the makeshift gate, uh, gateway between Otherworld and Krakoa, established in previous issues of Excalibur, allowing Apocalypse to complete the spell that creates the permanent gateway. 
lot of gateways happening here. A lot yeah. of portals. Too many portals, one would say. <laughs> Ryan? Did you guys ever watch Stargate? Yeah. yeah. It, a, lot of the, a lot of the show in Stargate is like, overly convoluted stories on like how do we get back to stargate how do we open the stargate how do we and this is exactly what this entire 12 issues felt like Be because it's this should have been a giant size issue i feel like yeah it's i i want to like this series i desperately want to like i like the characters i like the ideas i like everything it, it was still hard. It was probably the most coherent of the 12 issues, but it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a tough ride, y'all. It was a tough ride. Caitlin, make me feel better. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that, but uh, it was my favorite issue of Excalibur ever, um, of this run, I should say, uh, mostly because of the first part. Uh, sort of the politics of uh, Apocalypse with the rest of the externals. Uh, him coming in and basically saying in his own sort of Darwinist way, y'all are the past. You need to sacrifice yourselves to make way for the future. I love that interaction. And even though I felt Richter has been misused for the first 11 issues of this series, I like the way that he's sort of become an agent of apocalypse in this issue. And he was finally given some agency. Then we get to the other world stuff with Gambit Rogue, Captain Britain and Saturn, and I lost interest again. Uh, and it's just like, maybe I just don't care about this stuff anymore, if, if I ever did. Um, clearly, Otherworld is going to be a big part of Ten of Swords. Uh, but I'm more excited for the crossover than I was before this issue came out. Fair. Clark, speak on this. I, I would have been happy if they just, Kandra's soul was just inside of her. We didn't have to deal with the whole anything about the actual Excalibur team at all. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, it's... I, it's just, I don't know. This was... It just, yeah. I think um, the ideas in this series are good. They're just disorganized. Like, they're just written kind of shabbily. Yeah. And I, now that now that it has to go in a certain direction because of this huge miniseries that's happening, or you know, crossover, I should say, it has to hit these exact points at this this exact moment instead of just here are my ideas and I want to do it and didn't they'll throw them in any old minute and suddenly it work, works out or doesn't work out. These are it, definite. It has to happen. These are the things. Write it. So she's she's good at writing story and good at writing um, uh, dialogue, but it's just the execution of those two things put together that doesn't make any damn sense for the rest of the series. I almost wonder if this was like a case of, uh, I don't know if anybody remembers the first season of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then it's tie-in to The Winter Soldier where it was like the show was so bad until it finally could pick up the pieces from the big yeah. crossover essentially because kind of, yeah. It's getting the show's getting the comic is getting tighter and tighter, and I do really like this issue. And I even loved, like you said, Richter's journey. But like, I was so pissed off because I just thought that the build-up relationship between Richter and Apocalypse was like just like annoyingly done. And I like wish they could have just had more 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 issues to tie that through intelligently. And it feels like it kind of just sped up the paces of like 
oh, you're now a wizard and now this and now that and now this. <laughs> it, it's just really frustrating because it definitely dragged its feet for a while at the beginning that I think they probably, if they were more efficient, could have accomplished a lot more. Because all the, I, I actually liked all the uh, Eternal showing up. Like, it was just, it was an, it was the best issue that I've read of this so far. And it's, it's, it's too bad that like, it couldn't have this energy before that, right? What one silver lining that I was kind of thinking about with with this issue is they they were tying a lot of threads together, and uh, I, I think one of the things that really excited me was the that whole team becoming sort of uh, the Captain Britons of different universes. How they showed them in the crystals again, I was like, okay, so if this becomes sort of like that title after this crossover. I could sort of get on board again because it's sort of like a uh, reality hopping sort of exile sort of like Captain Britain adventure. I would like that. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that's where this is going because I think they need after this crossover is done, I think they need to get away from other world or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah. Is it a Rocco? Is it other world? I don't know. Let's go to the X-Men issue. <laughs> well, Clark's got to say something before we get there. The main thing yeah. for me that's been holding it down is that Jubilee and, and Shogo don't belong here. It's a waste of time. I don't want to see this freaking dragon. It's just, it's, it's, there, it's like this whole sidebar of stupidity that just has eaten away at pages and pages of crap. I don't understand. And now that that's out of the way, it actually seems like people have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I One right. thing that um, interview with all the uh, major creators uh, for Ten of Swords, you know, they were talking about like, what are some of the stuff that you should read before the crossover begins? Obviously, you know, the Dawn of X books, but somebody mentioned one of my favorite runs of Captain Britain, which is the Alan Moore, Alan Davis uh, series. Mm -hmm. And like reading that stuff, uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I'm not sure if it's on Marvel Unlimited or not, but I do have a hard copy if any of y'all want to borrow it. Um, uh, like it's some really, really great like stories. And it's uh, it's interesting to see like sort of proto Alan Moore, like pre-Swamp Thing, pre-Watchmen, pre-V for Vendetta, or maybe right around when V for Vendetta be began. But um, just seeing like one, how talented he was and he was able to kind of like explore the sort of multiverse uh, uh, in his own regard. And it's where uh, the term Earth 616 came from. Uh, like the Marvel universe is just a one of, you know, several thousand, if not several million, and it doesn't get to be Earth One or Earth Two or whatever. It just gets to be six one six. I just love I just love that so much. So if you thought Excalibur number twelve was dense, uh, wait till I get through with X Men number twelve because a lot happens here. Kaylin, so good, good good luck on this recap, by the way. Good luck. <laughs> oh, uh, I need I need I need a glass of water and maybe some Gatorade uh, and a nap after. So following up on the prologue from the previous issue, the summoner continues the most lethal game of Jumanji with Rockslide, Anal, and Loa. Apocalypse, having just created the permanent gateway over an Excalibur, stops by for story time. And what a story it is. The summoner finishes the tale that was started in Powers of Ten number four last year about Okara, which was basically the Pangea for mutants, split into two, uh, Krakoa and Arako. Turns out a sword created a schism, a twilight sword, where we're going we're gonna to hear more about that, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> Apocalypse and his mutant brethren repelled the demons that came from the schism, uh, but the mutants from Morocco, including Apocalypse's wife, Genesis, first time I've ever heard of her, uh, had to go into a hellish world called Amenth, 
uh, where they fought the demons and their Lord Annihilation. God, we need some better names here uh, for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, by the way, we first saw Genesis and Annihilation in the free comic book day issue of X-Men, which was in the Eight of Cups card where you had the split of Genesis on the left side and Annihilation on the right side. I think some of us thought it might be Storm going like Breaking Bad, but it's clearly not her. It's, it's these two characters. And of course they lost, uh, the summoner was sent back to our dimension Kal-El style to get Apocalypse to save Arako. The issue ends with the image we saw, again, the free comic book day issue on the judgment card with Apocalypse and the summoner standing on the edge of the permanent gateway. Uh, the summoner goes into the gateway with Banshee and Eunice the Untouchable for some reason. And so begins the Ten of Swords storyline. Can I just say real quickly that what I find so fascinating about, uh, especially like a comic like this, is like, I like was pretty sure that a lot of that stuff was never covered before, but sometimes like, especially with how much lore X-Men has, I was assuming all of you would be like, oh yeah, Genesis has been around forever and like Morocco <laughs> was totally a thing. Cause I'm like, what a great story, like what a great expository digest of what happened. I was like, that must've been a series back in like the 89 that I missed or whatever. <laughs> it's just no. wild how they blend in this new stuff. And with something like Apocalypse, he would have that many histories and lifetimes. But I just find it so fascinating where there's this giant arc of like something that happened that's never been spoken about before in like 30, 40 years. I, I'm going to call it now. I feel like the alpha issue or one of the first issues of the crossover that we're going to cover is going to just like a corpse two corpses of Banshee and Eunice are just going to come piling <laughs> through that fucking door. <laughs> They're like devastated. There's not like, and we won't see them the rest, the rest of the time well, until they decide to like resurrect. They, 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 they remember Banshee up pretty quickly. The, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, they're they're fucked, basically. Like, there's no way it's going well. Oh, yeah. Well, remember, that's true. But remember on one of the cards that we saw, I think it was maybe the Ten of Cups. Not Ten of Cups. It was the it's Ten of Swords and whatever the... That's one of, true. It Banshee had, was on that. Banshee was on there as one of the flying mutants. Um, so maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But God, like, just... I had to read this issue, I think, three or four times because I was like... <laughs> I'm like, I love Jonathan Hickman. I love the way he constructs plots. And I like that it takes a little bit of, you know, time and attention, but I've never had to read an X-Men comic and I've been reading them for a long time, this many times to be like, I think I got it. I think I got it. There, it's an entire prequel series they could have read. Especially when they're, like, <laughs> yeah. they're like, oh yeah, and this random woman also betrayed us. It was like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> I I reread the entire X Men run, so still confused. You mean that from 1963? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and I'm still like, I, Genesis never showed up. Um, I did. I love Genesis. I'm a huge fan of her. I'm obsessed, and I love Iska too, where she her mutant powers she can literally not lose. I'm upset. Like, I hope <laughs> that's amazing. that is ridiculous, and I love it. it's so stupid. Um, but I hope she does. <laughs> I hope she does come through, and I hope they team up and she's like around because I I really enjoy those two characters. Yeah, I loved Iska so much because that she had to switch sides because she couldn't lose. Like, yeah. what a fucking great little piece of detail! It's yeah. so good. Clark, you got my anything? Big, my big question is about White Sword 
and is 100 champions. Uh-huh. So we've got, like, a guy who's not part of a mint, and he's a mutant, but he still then killed all of the other mutants. So we just have this random X. I think that was the point where, like, I was like, oh, shit. So there's, like, 15 different sides to this. It's not just, you know one island going up against another it's one island going up against the entire world that island is in but also there's another set of mutants that are bad it seems that are killing all the other mutants and i'm like jesus christ i I don't know who 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 are are the big bads going to be in in this whole series there's like three different groups that could possibly be the the ones we're fighting once we get off this yeah. podcast, I'm literally going to go reread it because I was like, oh, they weren't together? This is a third part? <laughs> I still don't think I understand that. <laughs> yes, then we got White Sword and his hundred folks. We've got the demons of Amenth, and then we've got the mutants of Morocco. Right. We've got yeah. these three, three groups suddenly all introduced at the same time. <laughs> a lot. It's a lot happening. Hickman truly writes like he's always in the middle of a story. Yeah. Even if if it's the last issue, you're still like, I've been talking about this for years. You don't remember? I talked about Araco 10 years. You're like, what are you talking about, sir? It's a conversation between Clark and Brent at any given time. Yeah. (laughs) Brent is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Clark's like, we talked about this two years ago. How do you not remember that? (laughs) Uh, well, uh, Ryan, do you want to talk a little bit about what's coming up for our podcast and the crossover? I mean, what more can I say that I already didn't say in the beginning of this podcast? Um, <laughs> September 21st is when our first issue of this crossover with the other podcast is coming out. So please tune in. We promise you we'll give you some great content. It's going to be super fun. Uh, you can find it where you find our normal podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Find us on Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast and on Twitter at Homo Superior X. And then uh, if you're enjoying these other podcasts, please subscribe to them. Please listen to them. Uh, We really want to create a community of this sort of fun, queer X-Men podcast lifestyle. So let's get on board and let's all be a family. Um, do you mind what are if the I podcasts, Brian? Oh, once again, I will tell you. Um, some of my favorite podcasts, which are Comic Book Queers, <laughs> The Wolverine Podcast That Goes Snicked, House of X, also on Facebook, X Reads Podcast. Those are all the ones. And then, of course, Homo Superior. Um, I want us to start singing We Are Family by Sister Sledge at this point. <laughs> I'm in. Uh, Anything else for anyone, guys? No. We'll and talk with, to you soon, everyone. And with that, until we get a full list of bisexuals, Marvel, <laughs> we have been homo superior. Bye. Bye.